icon. Would you remain standing with me um, as we read God's word together? My name's Renee. I'm in the Ballard Community Group, and, and I'll be... Woo! You're welcome to come join us. We're obviously very cool and friendly. <laughs> but my actual job up here is to read today from God's word in Galatians 5, 22 through 26. Uh, I'll encourage you to read along in your Bible, and if you want to use the blue ESV Pew Bibles, it's on page 576. Sorry, 567. So Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Hey, uh, if we haven't met, uh, my name is Ben. I serve as an elder here, and um, like six of you have already asked about my shoes, so I'll just go ahead and address it now. Um, I grew up, so grew up playing basketball. I uh, needed new shoes to work out in. Uh, Dick's Sporting Goods on their website, they run clearance sales for stuff they couldn't sell in the stores, so it's like super cheap, but you have to order it without trying it on first because it's not in the store. So I bought a pair of LeBrons and a pair of Jordans. Um, these are the LeBrons. They were more comfortable better fitting. So I stuck with LeBron's. Jordan's the better player. LeBron has the better shoes. So there we go. Um, we are, we just wrapped up our summer series in Philippians and we're going to dive into the fruit of the spirit. So over the next couple of months, uh, we're going to look at all of these attributes kind of one by one and really flesh them out. Um, we have a, some different teachers, different preachers up here helping us, uh, helping us do that. Um, all of whom we have some really cool connections with, um, we trust they're submitting to the truth of the word. Um, so today, to kind of preface and, and kick off this series, um, we're going to focus on actually verses 24 and 25, right after this list of the fruit of the Spirit, where Paul um, talks about, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And it's, um, that's kind of, the, kind of the conclusion of this argument that he's built over the entire uh, letter to the Galatians, kind of walking through that. So we're going to walk through that, a lot of... A lot of different verses I'm going to pull in, a lot of different things um, kind of building up to um, that focus of the fruit of the Spirit that we're going to look at over the next couple of months. So um, I'm going to pray and then we can dive right in. Um, Father, thank you, for, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word and uh, for this group of people that are um, Lord, committed to hearing from you, committed to hearing um, what you have for us, what you have um, for each of us individually and for us as a community as well. And Lord, we just ask that you will... Uh, meet us here this morning, that you will um, speak, speak very clearly uh, to each of us what we need to hear. Uh, we pray in your name. Amen. Um, so look, looking again at verse 25, right, Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So if we live by the Spirit, he's not, um, he's not saying, hey, if, if we're going to do this, it's, it's kind of the conclusion of his argument. So if you're building a debate, building this argument up, and, and then you finish with, and so, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step. 
So he's, he's saying that, hey, this, this is what I've been telling you. This is how we live. This is what we do. Um, and that, for the Galatians, was a big deal. It might not seem like that much of a thing for us, walking with the Holy Spirit, living by the Holy Spirit. Um, for the church in Galatia, this cut them to the core. They had really gotten away from the message of salvation by grace. Um, they were teaching and requiring adherence to Old Testament law, very specifically, uh, laws around circumcision. And yes, literally, that's what it sounds like. Um, they were so committed to following Old Testament law regarding circumcision, they required every man who placed their faith in Jesus to prove they were circumcised or to get circumcised. Um, how's that for your church membership interview? Right? You believe in Jesus? That's great. You want to join the church? That's awesome. I just got to check something real quick. Um, Steve, I'm going to let you handle those membership interviews. That's, that's all you. <laughs> um, Paul's focus in this letter, he wanted to correct this false teaching that had invaded the Galatian church around their salvation, right? What it means to the life as a Christian. He felt so, so strongly about this. If we, if we flip back to the beginning of the, of the book, you know, all of these letters that Paul writes to these churches, he says, hey, you know, this is from Paul, the apostle, to the saints in this city, um, grace to you, peace to you, and then he dives in. Um, so he does that kind of that same greeting, and his dive in, his opening statement, you know, he's, here's, here's just how he, he dives in with him. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. There's no, there's no slow buildup, right? It's not, hey, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful for how you have supported me. I'm so proud of what you're doing in the city. It's like, nope, you guys have bailed on Christ. What's going on? Right? He keeps going. Not that there's another one, not, not that there's another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is how he opens. He's like, it cuts right to the point. You guys are missing the point. It doesn't make sense. Stop doing that right now. Right? And he can speak with this, with this strong language because he was just there. Okay, the historians have, have sorted out that Paul was likely in Galatia, A.D. 48 and A.D. 49, and he kind of, through his missionary journeys, preaching and teaching, and then this letter was written sometime between when he was there and A.D. 55. So within five to six years of him being there, he then writes this letter. So that's why he says, you, you've forgotten so quickly. I was just there. I just talked about this with you. Um, in, in Acts 13, right, he says, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes, who believes, is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So he very clearly told them, the law does you no good anymore. You need to believe in Jesus. Anyone who preaches anything else, let him be accursed. Okay, that word accursed, uh, the Greek is anathema. It's like offered up for destruction. Some, some of the different definitions, removed and excommunicated, right? cut out from the church if they're preaching something else. Let them be cursed to eternal damnation, anathema. If 
anyone is preaching anything other than salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, leading people away from the beauty of truth, the beauty of grace, my prayer is that God will rain fire down on their head and destroy them in their false message. That was how much Paul hated what was happening in the Galatian church, how much he hated this false teaching that had invaded their community. Teaching this thing that a person has to do something to earn God's forgiveness, to earn a place in his kingdom. That message should be offered up for destruction. But if God gave the Israelites the law in the first place, why now do we hate this message so much? God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments, other laws, uh, to Moses so that they and we can understand what sin is. Adam and Eve violated the command of God in the Garden of Eden. They committed sin, and, uh, and then sin, sin entered in the world, right? God is holy, and he cannot have ho- unholy things in his presence. But he loves his creation. He loves his people. He loves his children. And he desires relationship with us, even though we repeatedly reject and sin against him. So in his love... God gave the Israelites the law so that they and we could have clear definitions of sin to help us understand this gap that exists between God and man and to give us a clear recognition of our hopelessness, our helplessness apart from Jesus. The purpose of the law was not a means of salvation. It never never was supposed to be. The purpose of the law was and is to point us to the source of our salvation, back to Jesus. The problem that the Galatians were facing they were teaching that a condition of, a, of salvation was following a portion of the law. Right? For them, specifically, it was around circumcision, but it could be things around what we eat, what we drink. It could be, it could be any of a hundred things in all the different laws that we have. But they were adding a requirement to the message of faith. So throughout this letter, and in other places in the New Testament to some of the letters, um, Paul reminds that no human can keep the law perfectly. Even before Christ came, it was never the actions of the Israelites in obeying God's law that led to the salvation. It was their faith that if they obeyed God and followed his law, he would forgive their sins as he promised. Holding back his righteous judgment until the day a Messiah would come to pay the price and receive that judgment for their sin. The point wasn't following all the laws. The point was believing that God would keep his promises when he gave them the law. Romans 4 What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Adherence to the law does not result in salvation because you can't keep all of it perfectly. Here in the letter to the Galatians, in in chapter 3, verse 10, Paul tells them, Hey, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. In James, he talks about if you keep the whole law but you stumble in one point, it's the same as if you were guilty of the whole thing. A holy, perfect God cannot be in the presence of unholiness. 
We see multiple places throughout Scripture where it's where the law is compared to living under a curse because we're under the curse of sin, and even compared to living in in slavery, if you are relying on obeying the law for your salvation, it's compared to slavery. It's a hopeless situation you can never escape from. It'll never get you what you want, and it's a master that promises one thing but delivers something else. If God allowed our obedience to the law to be the the solution for our salvation and looked over the little stumbles, he would cease to be a holy God, right? A holy God cannot be in the presence of unholiness. So Paul knows that this isn't going to be easy for the Galatians to receive. It's not easy for us to receive, right? We want to be able to do something. I want to fix it. I want to do something about it. It cuts to our pride to say that, hey, there's nothing you can do. Right. Galatians took a lot of pride in their circumcision. Um, so, he, again, he's continued, he wants to help them. He's building an argument. So later on, uh, again, in, in Galatians chapter 3, is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, that righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, before Jesus came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed, until Jesus would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. That's the beauty of the gospel. The law has shown you your helpless condition under righteous judgment and condemnation for your sin. The law has shown us a way to be forgiven for, the, for, the, for those before Christ, a way for them to be forgiven while they were awaiting their Savior who would come and perfectly follow the law to the letter his whole life and pass that righteousness to us. Okay. When that happened, Christ fulfilled the entire law perfectly, passed that perfect righteousness to everyone who believes in him, and then the law became obsolete. And faith in Jesus became the new covenant that we have. Right. The old covenant was God said, hey, if you obey these laws, I will forgive your sin because he knew that he was holding his judgment till the day that he could pass all of it on Christ and make a new covenant that says, hey, faith in Jesus now is the forgiveness for sin. And the Galatians were missing the point. They were missing the whole point. Beginning in chapter 5, Paul continued, continued to build his argument. For freedom Christ has set us free. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery... Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. If you accept and add things to, the, to faith, add obedience to the law, Christ is of no advantage to you. I testify again, every man who accepts circumcision is obligated to keep the whole law. If you're going to say you have to keep this one piece of it to be forgiven, you have to keep the whole thing. All or nothing. There's no take, pick and choose. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And what a difference in language. There's this hopelessness, helplessness. I'm trying to do all these things and I can't. But by faith, we can eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Grace is a gift that we cannot and have not earned and don't deserve. If you're preaching, teaching, believing a works-based forgiveness, then you've taken grace away. 
That's the point of grace, is that you can't earn it. You, can't, you don't deserve it. Right? It's one of the reasons that Paul and, and I feel so strongly about the wickedness of a gospel that requires us to work for our forgiveness, because it nullifies the point of grace. The other reason, I think the main reason, why preaching a gospel like what they were preaching in Galatia is, is evil is because of what it does to the sacrifice of Christ. Jesus hanging on the cross for our sin. Okay, a couple pages back in Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. These are fantastic verses. Uh, Galatians 2.20 is one that my parents were in college ministry back in the, uh, in the 80s. Galatians 2.20 was one they would memorize with all their college students. It's a phenomenal verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, not by circumcision, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If the forgiveness from God for our sins, making us right with him, having the righteousness of Christ applied to our account, comes about through us obeying the law, then Christ's death on the cross was pointless. Teaching a message that says we have to clean ourselves up before we come to God is evil. There's no other word for it. It's evil. Teaching a message that says we can come to him dirty and broken, as long as you obey this one thing, we can be forgiven, it's evil. It's wrong. Teaching anything that puts any responsibility for our salvation on our actions is insulting to Jesus and what he went through for us. He knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and pressed it onto his head and struck him with their hands. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He said, it's finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What can we possibly add to that? The creator of the universe walking in our shoes without sin, without fault, carrying our just punishment to the cross, offering himself in our place, rising from the dead so that he can offer us eternal life, looking down at you full of mercy, love, and grace, awakens your soul to your condition. He awakens your soul to your hopelessness. He revives your heart and gives you the faith to believe. It's through that faith that he brings that we receive salvation and we receive the Holy Spirit of God. What can we add to that? Why would we try to add to that? It's the most beautiful message in all of history. By the power of the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross, we have been made alive by the Spirit of God. If we live by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit, right? And it's because of that, out of the overflow of love and gratitude in our hearts for everything he has done for us, 
we respond in love and gratitude to our Savior by walking closely with him. Not to earn that forgiveness. No. Not to try and pay him back for what he's done. How could you possibly pay him back for that? No, but to celebrate what he's done. <laughs> right, to celebrate what he's done by pursuing a deeper relationship with him. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That's what the fruit of the Spirit's about, right? We have been saved. God looked down and forward through time and space and chose to bring salvation to everyone who believes him. If you believe that message, he chose you. He's regenerated your soul, injected his spirit into you. He's brought that new life. The work of justification, the work of forgiveness was finished on the cross. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. That's what Paul's getting at here. Don't waste what Jesus has done for you. When we recognize the beauty of our salvation for what it is, the natural next step is to walk closely with him. When we do that, things grow in our life, right? We produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if we have been made alive by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Okay. Right before this section, a few verses before where he lists off the fruit of the Spirit, um, Paul tells the Galatians that those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires, right? That theme of, of denying our sinful desires and instead walking with, with Christ is seen multiple places, um, but specifically in the Galatians, here's how he says it. So if you just, a few verses before, uh, here in chapter 5 of Galatians, up in verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Okay, it's a pretty good list. It's a pretty good list. Um, we're called to crucify the desires of the flesh, and the, the Greek there, crucify, is the same words used when talking about the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. It's that, that, same, that same picture of mocking and, and hatred and we have to get rid of this thing and we're going to nail it to the cross and everyone's going to see that I am done. We're done with you. We're crucifying you. I'm done with these things. I'm crucifying these things. That's the call of the Christian, right? Is to nail those desires, to nail those sins to the cross with Jesus. Okay. That's not a once for all thing that happens when we accept Christ, right? Our forgiveness is. It's once, it's done. We don't have to continue to earn it. But we still live on this earth. We still face temptations. We still f struggle with sin. That's why there's so much in the word about walking with Jesus because that's just what our life is. That's what it means. Okay, the call is to daily nail our sinful desires to the cross and instead follow the desires that the Spirit stirs up in us towards holiness and righteousness. We receive the Spirit. He awakens these things that were there from the beginning. God created Adam and Eve. He said it is very good and sin broke it. The Spirit comes in and revives those desires again. But now they're fighting, now they're competing. So how do we do it? How do we get to this place of denying the sinful desires that are so close at hand all the time and instead pursue the righteous desires that the Spirit of God revives in us when he restores our souls to life? How do we do it? So we're gonna look at these characteristics over the next several weeks. Um, as we do that, I have a list of, of kind of five things 
that I think are really, if we make them a regular habit, really help us to submit to the holy desires the Spirit places in us and deny the sinful desires that continually are fighting to pull us down, to drag us down. Okay, so first, you have to acknowledge your sinfulness, your brokenness, your utter helplessness apart from Jesus, right? You have to acknowledge it, recognize. Um, when we look at Jesus and look at ourselves, there's a huge gap there, right? He's the one who bridged the gap. He's the one who saves us. He's the one that brings peace in life. Apart from him, we can do no good. Humbly acknowledge your position and status because a person that's humble can receive help. Right? Pride goes before the fall, a haughty spirit before destruction. If we humbly acknowledge and recognize our need for Jesus, it's going to open our heart to be able to receive from him. Second, pray. Pray, pray, pray. Before Jesus was crucified, uh, in John chapter 17, we have what's titled in most Bibles the high priestly prayer. It's kind of the last conversation that Jesus had with God the Father before he was betrayed by Judas. Um, The final things that he wanted to say before he went to the cross, the the final conversation, the final prayer that he wanted to record in Scripture for all of time for us to have. It's a beautiful chapter, one of my personal favorites, um, because we just see how deeply he cares for us here. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's like 20-some verses Um, But there's a few verses in there that I think we can can really learn from. So John 17, starting in verse 8. For I, so Jesus talking, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, And yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Before he went to the cross, Jesus prayed. He specifically, he says, hey, this part of my prayer, these are for the people that trust me, that trust you, that trust us. This is is just for them. So in that moment, the specific thing that he asks, the very specific request he has after the, the back and forth of, I've preached to them, they've believed, there's glory here, they're going to still be in the world without me. Father, keep them in your name. His, his one request for his people that believed him and trusted him before he went to the cross was for God to preserve his people. The one thing he asked for. If the creator and savior of the universe is praying for his people to be sustained, I think we should pray for that too. That's a pretty good example for us to follow right there. Okay, We can imitate that. Pray for each other. Pray for yourself that we can crucify the desires of flesh, submit to the holy desires of the Spirit. Now you're going to pray for a lot of things, and we get a lot of different answers. Okay, Sometimes God says, no, not yet. Be patient. That's actually really bad for you. Um, Prayers for growth in holiness, prayers for growth in the fruit of the Spirit, prayers for the destruction of the evil desires in your heart, those prayers are always going to be met with yes. Okay? It might not look like what you expect. Right? A prayer asking for God to help you grow in patience is a very dangerous one because you're probably going to get a lot of opportunities to exercise patience, <laughs> whatever that could look like. Right? A prayer asking God to resolve or remove a difficult situation he may resolve that situation by throwing you even deeper into it and using you as the primary means to work that situation out. Okay? 
But God promises, he promises that he's working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called to him. We can pray with confidence that whatever situation God has taken us through, however he answers the prayers of different circumstances and things we're facing, the answer is always growth in holiness. The answer is always going to be a situation that if we walk with him through it will result in our growth. The requests for growth and holiness are always met with yes, because that's what God wants for us more than anything else. So third, have faith. Believe the promises of God. Trust the ongoing work of God in your life. Trust his promises in scripture. Trust his character. I can't can't always see it clearly, but trust his character. He's good, he's loving, he's kind, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing. He never changes. It's by grace we've been saved through faith. Abraham believed his faith was counted as righteousness. We're made alive by the Spirit through faith. Our ongoing walk as a Christian requires ongoing faith. We don't believe once for all of our lives. All of our lives is a continual belief and faith in him. You have to have faith. Fourth, take action. Take action. How does fruit grow? Okay. My dad grew up on a farm in Kansas. It was a dairy farm. They didn't, so they didn't really have plants and stuff, but uh, he was around farmers enough. Um, but fruit grows. It's the combined effort, right? You have the seed, the soil, the water, the sun, the air, and the farmer. Okay. The Spirit has planted the seed of faith in our hearts. God provides the soil, the water, the sun, and the air. But if the farmer doesn't utilize the tools and resources that are available plants don't grow, right? They take cultivation. It takes effort. It takes work. If the soil grows dry or it fills with weeds or if the plant is overwatered, too much water, too little water, if there's an obstruction that blocks the sunlight or if the sunlight is too harsh or if forest fires bring in smoke and choke out the air quality, right? Seedlings can't grow into healthy fruit-bearing plants without effort, without work, without cultivation, right? So take responsibility for your own spiritual maturity, Read the Bible. Memorize it. David said that he wrote God's words on his heart that he might not sin against him. Center your life, your priorities around Christian community. Be consistent in church. Not just joining online, not just listening to recorded sermons, but living in community, living in person, walking with others who will hold you accountable to pursue Jesus. In Hebrews, he talks about stirring one another on. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other places, it talks about iron sharpening iron, right? One man sharpens another, iron sharpens iron. We make each other stronger. We hold each other accountable. We call each other out, right? Talks about... Um, confessing our sins to one another, praying for one another that we aren't hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay. Take action for your own spiritual maturity. The, the Spirit of God is working and moving. We can join Him in that. He calls us to join Him in that and to work for our own growth. Finally, live a life of thanksgiving. 
if we begin by humbly recognizing our helplessness apart from Christ and end by thanking him for the work he has done, he is doing, and that we know he's going to do, we are consistently pointing ourselves and the people around us back to the cross. Begin with humility, end with humility, thanking God. God, please help me. I need you. Thank you, God, for how you're helping me. Right? Begin and end with that humility. Acknowledge your flesh for what it is. Acknowledge your sin for what it is. Walk humbly. Pray and ask God to keep you close, to keep you near, to keep the desires of the Spirit growing in you. Right? Trust and believe that he will answer those prayers. And then join him in the work he's already doing to cut out the ugliness in your heart. Live in community with other believers that will point you to Jesus and thank God daily for the growth that you see and thank him for the, no, for the growth that you know he's going to bring that you haven't seen yet. Expect it to come. As I close, we're going to transition every, uh, like we do every week uh, into communion. So if you're new at Icon, we close every service this way. Uh, we've got the communion elements up here on either side on the tables in the front. Um, we'll have, a, uh, have communion and have a couple of final songs. Jesus instituted the practice of communion uh, during the final meal he shared with his disciples before he was betrayed and crucified. He instituted communion not as a requirement for forgiveness, but as a reminder of our forgiveness, a reminder of his love for us, the price that was paid. Um, If you're a Christian, whether or not Icon is your home, we would invite you to to come and celebrate this with us. Um, If you don't call Jesus your savior, like, like he said to the Galatians, this meal is of no advantage to you. Right? There's no action we can take to earn God's favor and forgiveness. Right? So if, if you don't call Jesus your Savior, our, our invitation to you this morning is just to consider what's holding you back from taking that step. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Let's pray. Um, God, we humbly come before you today, recognizing who we are and who you are, recognizing the beauty of the cross, the beauty of grace, and our utter helplessness apart from you. Lord, we come to you and ask that you will work and move in us to stir us up to good works, to, to remind us that a life lived following you is a life of peace, a life of hope, a life of joy. Lord, you call, call us to those things. Come to you and ask for this community that you will continue to build a robust and thriving community of believers challenging one another, pointing each other to Jesus, confessing sins together, calling each other to greater and better things. And Father, thank you. Thank you for how you are growing us. Thank you for the things that you have walked each of us through this year, that you have walked our entire church through as a community this year, and for the fruit that it has produced in our lives. Thank you for the things that you're going to take us through in the coming days, weeks, months, and years, and the ways that you're going to use that to produce that fruit in our lives. And Father, I just ask that you will help us all to see it. Help us to see that you're taking us through whatever you're taking us through for our good, and that we can join you in that and not rebel and push against it. Thank you for the reminder of communion. Thank you for the reminder of grace and mercy. 
We pray for you in your name. Amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online, we encourage you to take a moment to reflect on and respond to what the Spirit might be telling you in response to what you've heard. For more resources and to find out how you can join with us on Gathering on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. And as we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.